Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. But we're in a series called You Plus Me, and every single week a different angle on this idea of one another. The New Testament, 59 times, it tells us to one another. Love one another, serve one another, submit to one another, accept one another. Last week we talked about honor one another. It's one another, one another. It's kind of the biblical imperative. And all of that stems from Jesus when he responds to uh, the question of what's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this series we said, being a Jesus follower, the thing shifts from basically making it about you and yourself your own personal experience, your own personal needs and wants and desires and all that kind of stuff. No longer is it about you when you're a Jesus follower. It's about the you beside you. And today, I don't want to talk about the you beside you. I want to talk about the you in front of you, and I want to talk about the you behind you. I want to talk about generations, and I want to talk about how we serve a God who is a God of generations. And we see that in Scripture. Um, Deuteronomy 6 is where we're going to be. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 6. If you don't, open up your phone and pretend like you're looking at the Bible app with me. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, you version. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands. Really, if you really don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Go to Next Steps and we'd give you one. Also, it's going to be up on the screens for your viewing pleasure. Here we go. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 12. This is Moses. And Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says this, sounds very familiar, sounds like Jesus in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Then he says, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Moses says, I want you to, I want you to let God do a work in you. I want you to let God work, write these on, let God write these on your hearts. I want you to internalize these. I want him to just shift your motivation for why you do what you do. And then he says, impress them on your children. So let God do a work on you. And then you can, you can pass these down, press them on your children, talk about them. And then he gives great application. I love this, that Moses is so applicable. He says, talk about them when you sit at home. He's like, just like giving them ideas. He's like, you know, just talk about them. Just talk about them when you're in the living room. Talk about them when you're on the road. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. He's basically like, just talk about them all the time. And then he says, tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Get that sucker tattooed. You know what I mean? He's like, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Basically, Moses is like, hey, take the commands of God. Take the word of God. Internalize that in such a way. Put it around you. Put it on your walls. Put it everywhere you can so that you can be reminded of his character and his faithfulness. And then he says this. When the Lord your God brings you, and this is the part that kind of rocked me. You know when you read a passage of scripture sometimes and it's stuff that you've read for like years or you've heard people talk about it and you're like, all right, cool, great, whatever. And then you read it again. You're like, yo, like there's new things that God has for you because the word is living and active. And anyway, so when he says this, when the Lord, your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. Let's stop right there. So he says, Hey, He's just like, just sneaking stuff in there. I like it. Moses is like, also, God is a God of multiple generations. God of Abraham. But he's also the God of Isaac. Also, he's the God of Jacob. Also, he's the God of the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Anyway, keep going. He says, when God gives that to you, a land with large, flourishing cities, and you didn't build those cities, you just inherited them. A land, houses, filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide those things. Wells that you did not dig. And you're like, wells? What is that? It's like, this is the desert. Okay, wells are a big deal. Water, right? He's like, wells? You didn't dig those wells. Takes time to do that. It's a lot of work. Vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And again, for us, we're like, who cares about vineyards and olive groves? It's an agrarian society. How long? When was the last time you planted a vineyard? You know what I mean? It takes, it takes time. You know, he's like, you inherited these vineyards and these olive groves. Then when you eat and you're satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So there's a couple things before we get going today, um, just right off the top that I want to hit. First of all, I love this passage because it's a reminder that it's on us to tee it up for the next generation. Moses is telling the people of Israel, he's saying, hey, listen, moms, dads, people who are older, you got people who are behind you, next generation, and you need to do what you can to internalize the message 
You need to do what you can to internalize the commands of God on your life. You need to let him change your heart so that you can impress those on the next generation. That's your responsibility, my responsibility. Listen, parents, you should be the primary vehicle for evangelism and discipleship in your kids' lives. You should. They should hear you talk about your faith in Jesus. They should hear you talk about hard things. They should hear you ask for forgiveness because you stepped in it and you need to ask for forgiveness because you're human. And also, people can't... People can't give you what you don't have. So they, they need to see you live out the gospel message in such a way that it's impressed on your heart. And they go, my parents are for real. They're like, they're legit. They really believe this thing. They're after it. Um, live out your faith in such a way that so when your kid actually listens to you, talk to them about their own faith, they'll, 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 they'll lean in. Because they're going, nah, man, you're a hypocrite. You like to talk to me about doing junk, but you, like, you haven't let it work you over in such a way that your admonitions hold any weight. They can see what's written in your heart. Listen, children ain't stupid. They can see. They can see. And so the second thing that we see in this passage is that Moses is reminding the people, hey, when you get to the land that you've been promised, still all these things that you've inherited, cities, houses full of resources, vineyards and olive groves, there's wells, there's all kinds of things that you just get to inherit. You didn't do any of those things. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get fat and sassy. You're going to eat. You're going to get comfortable. You're going to forget me. And Moses says, don't forget that God delivered you. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I feel like if there's, if there's ever been a message to our generation, it's that one. You are so comfortable. You have inherited things that you didn't work for. And even as the church, you have inherited things that you didn't work for. And you're so comfortable. And we just have drifted to a space where we have forgotten that we were delivered. That we ever forgot. That on, there, was once, there was once a season of our lives where we were slaves and we were in bondage and we were broken and we were sinners. And we, desired, we, we needed rescuing. We needed deliverance. And so uh, I feel like uh, we've never had it better. We've never had it better. And yet we struggle today more than ever to remember the Lord. To remember that God delivered us and to remember why we do what we do. And so here's the thing that it speaks to me in this passage of Deuteronomy 6. One of the things I want to talk about today is the idea of passing it on to the next generation, this idea of succession. And the idea is that success is succession for us as the church. That's the mark. So God can do an amazing work in our generation. As a matter of fact, you see this biblically. Even in the Old Testament, there's great examples of kings or people, great leaders of people who really were leading Israel, the people of Israel, really well. And one generation was crushing it. And then the next generation came along, absolute hell in a handbasket. It was just a hot mess. You know what I mean? And so the idea for us as followers of Jesus is not to just see God work now over the next couple decades, but to serve the next generation, to always make it about next man up so that God continues to do a work because he's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. And so that's what he tells us in Exodus 3. There's this great passage where Moses meets God, burning bush, right? He meets God face to face and God sends him to be the deliverer of his people. And then he says, hey, who do I tell them that you are? Like, how do I explain? What, what, what do I say? And then here's how God defines himself. Exodus 3.15. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He said, listen, if you want to tell them who I am, just point to the people. I've been the same God the entire time. I don't change. Your generations do. I stayed the same. I was Abraham's God. Yep. But I was also Isaac's. I was also Jacob's and everyone behind him. And the idea is that we would honor and acknowledge the fact that you and I stand on the shoulders of a previous generation so we can take more ground and disciple more people and fulfill the great commission for the generation to come. How many of you in this space today, you came to a saving faith in Jesus before the age of 25? You, you gave your life to Jesus before the age of 25. Hold your hand up. It's all good. Like it's, what, where you have, what's, what's happened? Yeah. Like, so look around the room. That's how important it is, right? It's important that we would get this message correct. Um, and uh, the last verse of the Old Testament, um, this is how important it is to God, right before Jesus. So 400 years before the birth of Christ, God speaks to the prophet of Malachi. And at the end of Malachi, Malachi 4, um, verses 5 and 6. So this is, what, this is what God says. 
He said, say, I will send a prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord when he comes. So he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and he'll turn the hearts of the children to their parents. And this is, this is God's desire. This is God's heart that he would turn the chart, the hearts of children to their parents and the hearts of parents to their children. The idea is that God will cause us to stop just thinking about our personal relationship, our personal experience, stop being so self-centered. Even in our faith, we're self-centered. It's about me and my needs and I'm getting filled and I'm getting, you know, I just need, you know, versus being like, here's what's crazy. When I'm following Jesus, if I would just focus on serving others, helping others, pouring out my cup, like even in my prayer life, focusing on others, God does something in me. So I want to honor the generation that came before us, and then we can fuel and empower and launch the generation behind us. So it's about the you beside you, but it's also about the you in front of you, and it's also about the you behind you. That's what, that's what God's teaching us. Um, and we have, like, in this room right now, a ton of different, like, the, the diversity of our church family in this season by way of generation is wild. Uh, so I want you to think about this right now. Um, so when, when God's unpacking this passage, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there was a, there was a period for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob where their lives actually overlapped, where all three were alive at the same time. And back in the, back in the old time, back in the day, people lived like a long time. You know what I mean? Like 175 years, that's way too old. Anyway, and then Jacob, like 140 something years, is like, I don't know what Jacob did, but he didn't get it as, he didn't get it as good as Abraham and Isaac. You know what I mean? So, anyway, but there was a sliver of time where all three of them were alive, all three of them, in, you know, in the same space. And then, but if you compare that to like today, we have six generations currently. Six generations. And even here as a church family, here's what today's landscape it looks like as far as generations. We have the silent generation. So like my mom's mom, my dad's mom, uh, you got parents or grandparents who are in this generation. These are people who grew up post Great Depression, World War II. How many of you, your mom or your grandma live in this era? Like they were born from 1928 to 1945. Look around the room, right? And then we got all my baby boomers. Where's my boomers at? Make some noise, boomers. Come on, boomers. Let's go. Yes. Um, but so this is 1946 to 1964. And, uh, you guys know the label that you carry as a generation, right? Everybody, cause you came of age, late sixties, early seventies, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, like you little, you little hippies, you know what I mean? Like flower children, Jesus movement. It was awesome. Uh, and then we have Gen X. Where's my, all my Gen X? Make some noise, Gen X. Yeah, that's what Gen X sounds like. You, the lovers of uh, Whitney Houston, you know what I'm saying? You had a pager, you know what I'm saying? Like lovers of Nirvana, um, Gen X. Some of you are like, I love Nirvana. Um, millennials, where's all my millennials at? 1981 to 1996. Woo, so good, yeah. Uh, so... It's, and this generation is, this generation is labeled as entitled. Ha, 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 they're so entitled. Uh, this generation is labeled as lazy, right? This generation is labeled, and this is my generation, I can say that, right? But we're kind of in a weird space as a millennial. I'm a geriatric millennial. So I'm, I'm, I'm born in 1984, and, um, and so I can make, I'm in a weird I'm, my life is really weird. I can relate to people in their 50s by season of life, but like just, but also I'm a millennial. It's really weird. So, so, uh, but kind of bridge the gap. Our, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but our generations, we kind of like have one foot over here. And then we also, we came of age when the world just got really fast, really crazy. Um, and so I'm talking more about that. And then we got Gen Z. Where's my Gen Z at? Come on, 1997 to 2012, you guys are born, in, you guys taught us how to use our phones when you were like, when you were three, you know what I mean? We're like, I don't know how to do it. And then you hand it to your kid in Gen Z and they show you how to do it because you guys, you grew up, you were steeped in it from day one. It's, you've, it's a reality that you were born into and especially um, the next generation behind you, which is the alpha generation, 2013 to present. We got some alphas in the room. Are they all in Soma kids? I got to say, I see Alpha at the back. Let's go. Yeah. So, which is a great generation name. How it stinks for some of us. Like Gen X is like, come on, bro. And then Alpha is like, yeah, let's go. So, but we just ran out of the alphabet. That's all that means. And so Alpha's up. Um, and so uh, I want you to think about how diverse the lived experiences of each of those generations are. 
It is crazy. I want you to think about your extended family get-togethers, like at Christmas, or just hanging out. Like, man, because COVID makes it hard, because you, you, know, you have that break in like, regularly spending time with extended family, and you spend time with your extended family, and you're like, we're so different. They're so weird. Oh my gosh, everything they do is antiquated, or they're so dumb, they're so young, they're so lazy. They're so, and you start, you, know, you start to have those conversations because your lived experience is completely different. Like what you grew up in and around. Here's, I'm going to paint a picture for you. This is what, this is what it looks like. Um, the reality of our current situation is, is that we have six generations. And we get together for big gatherings. And it is like, it's like living in a three-bedroom house with six generations up in there. You know what I mean? And baby boomers, you guys own the house, you know? You guys own it. And then the silent generation, we made them a sweet apartment in the back. You know what I mean? They got like a nice... And then the rest of us are working from home because of COVID or playing Xbox or we're on our phones. You know what I mean? That's what's happening for the rest of our generations. But um, there's more generational diversity than ever before because life and technology and culture has evolved so fast over the past few decades. So I'm going to give you some examples. For Silent and Boomer and Gen X, for life, life was just slower paced. Like it just was. Uh, It was just a different era. How many of you remember, um, you, you, you remember growing up and just sitting around and listening to the radio? You listened to the radio as a child. It's okay. Don't be, don't be ashamed. And it's like, that was a thing. Gen Z, you're like, what? That was all they had. That was it. They would just sit and listen to the radio. They'd have programs. There wasn't even TV back in the day. And no phones, no, you know, just sit. How many of you remember wood stoves? You had family members that had wood stoves? Yeah, I'm, I kind of miss that. Um, I remember my grandma telling me, she was telling me a story one time. She was like, yeah, and then we got in the wagon, and I was like, time out. (laughs) Station wagon? No, we got in a legit wagon with a horse on the front. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it wasn't that far. It wasn't that long ago. Like, what are we talking about? It's it's crazy. Slower-paced life, right? You, you, You just... Because you, I mean, there was nothing to distract you in the way that it is today. Faith, we all had a shared value in faith. Broader culture, American values, that kind of thing. And so in the same way that people didn't get divorced, it just wasn't a thing, right? You could, people had terrible marriages, but they were just like, I will die before I divorce. Like, you know, and so people didn't get divorced. In the same way, people just did church. It didn't mean that they had a relationship with Jesus. So there's a difference between the two. But there was, there was just baked into culture, we're just going to do church. We're going to do Sunday school, and we're going to do Sunday morning. God bless them preachers back in the day. They had a Sunday night service that was different from the Sunday morning service and a Wednesday night service, and you had choir practice on Thursday. How many of you grew up going to church like that? You grew up going to church all the time. Yep. All right, so faith was a shared value. Trust, we had a high level of trust back in the day. You know, people just leaving, the, just, you didn't even lock your doors you remember that? People just leave their doors open, windows open. Come and rob me. It don't matter. Like, this, whatever. Like, we're not worried about it with a high level of trust. Um, and then also morality. So there was moral standards, like moral absolutes that broader culture just everyone kind of lined up to and was like, yeah, stabbing people is bad. That's a bad idea. You know what I mean? Adultery, not cool. Like, there's all kinds of things that broader culture looked at and was like, yeah. And... Um, and, but things happened, things grew and evolved quickly, rapidly for my generation. We started in a world, I started in a world that was slower paced, way more traditional. We had a phone that was attached to the wall in the kitchen. Real long, nasty cord. It got brown at the bottom, was all tangled up. You know what I'm talking about? You get the phone, you walk all the way to the end of the house. We little ranch style house. You know what I'm talking about? You talking to people. We have Blockbuster. Come at me. We have Blockbuster. You go, you know, so excited. Give me a VHS. Put in the, you know, and, and, but then my, also my generation, same generation, is the generation that came of age with the iPhone. When I was in college, Google was a thing. Facebook, which gave way to Instagram. I mean, so it's just, we, we grew rapidly. Society changed pretty rapidly. And so for millennials and Gen Z, here's where we're stepping into. Here's really where we're at. Uh, for our generations. And this is also for alphas. This is true for you guys as well. Life is frantic. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Your work week now, average work week for American is like 47 hours, and that doesn't include phone time. 
So depending on how you manage your phone, add another 15 hours. Let's be real. Add another 15 hours to that. And that's what that looks like. Faith is at the margins. We no longer place God first. We no longer make him our priority in our time and our talents and our treasure and our relationships and our flow of life, that kind of thing. He usually, if we're being honest, for a lot of us, um, and, and I know I'm talking to the choir. I know some of you don't struggle with it. I'm just saying culturally, God's not a priority. Faith is not a priority. For some people, majority of people, it might come like, sixth, seventh on the list, you know what I mean? Behind careers, behind whatever endeavors that I want my kids to pursue, other, other things. Faith's at the margins. Trust is broken. Nobody trusts anybody anymore. No one. Who do you trust? No one is the answer, right? And so, um, especially when it comes, I would say especially when it comes to institutions, or, or when it comes to the church, the local church, a lot of people, and listen, you're skeptical of the local church and you're a Christ follower. People who don't share your convictions or your faith are so skeptical. They don't trust what God does in the church. It's not a thing anymore. And then morality. Now we have, instead of uh, moral standards or moral absolutes, now we have moral tolerance, moral tolerance. And the world uh, we currently live in you know, we've moved from this place of, of absolute to tolerance. And tolerance on its face, like when you hear the word tolerance, uh, in its true form, it means that everyone has equal value, that humanity, like everybody has value, which is beautiful. And I totally agree. But the problem is, is that it got hijacked. And so the definition of tolerance has shifted from humanity has value or all people have value to all the ideas have value, even stupid ones. So, and, and, and you laugh, but it's legit. Like, it's a thing. People are like, nah, you can think whatever you want to think and whatever you feel is your truth. And that's bull crap. Like, you, you, it, like there's truth and then there's all the other junk. So it's like, what, like, what am I going to submit my life to? Okay. It snuck into our culture. It means that everyone has a right to have their own idea about life and faith and morality. And then if you disagree with me, if you have your convictions based on what's true, I'll devalue you as a person. You come against my idea and I'll attack you personally. That's where we're at today. That's broader culture. And so we're in a generation that doesn't, that doesn't value or prioritize what we know as Jesus followers to be true, to be right, to be a way of life that honors God and honors other people. Um, and so here's what we see. This is what happens in scripture whenever that happens. So Judges 17.6 is a great example. There are people in that time period that didn't have standards, uh, absolute morality. So in those days, Israel didn't have a king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Judges 17.6. And so when there's no higher governing principle, when there's no standards, it becomes whatever you want, whenever you want it. And this is where the enemy loves us. No objective moral truth, no pathway for life and freedom. Just whatever you think, and even worse, whatever you feel. Whatever you're feeling. So this is, um, just in preparation, there's this sobering quote by a cultural anthrop- anthropologist, uh, Margaret Mead, from the ni- this is in the 1960s. Here's what she has to say about parenting and about generations in 1960s. Throughout human history, in all cultures, parents... And grandparents have helped their young understand life and the future. However, I anticipate a time that is coming where technology and culture changes so fast that for the first time in human history, children would have to figure out for themselves what their values will be. That was in the 60s. That's where we live. So no longer is it mom and dad. No longer is it generation to generation. I'm going to hand you down the values. Now... Now, increasingly, next generation is having to decide for themselves. Um, And I I think, if anything, COVID has probably expedited trends in all areas of life, and this is one of those areas. So I can get discouraged by the reality in which we live. If I'm being real, sometimes I do. I can be discouraged by that, or I can choose to do something about it. I can look at what's happening in our broader culture. Listen, you and I, we live in the Bible Belt, so we're the last one. This is the last to hit us. Places like New York, places like L.A., Chicago, I mean, major metropolitan areas in, in, in America, it's already, it's already shifted. We're about 10 years behind the curve. Just wait, right? But to our nation, our broader culture, the idea is, man, I can be discouraged or I can lean in. Mainline churches, right? So mainline denominations, mainline churches are on the brink of extinction, extinction post-COVID. We all know, I do, 
plenty of churches who hold those mainline affiliations and kind of a traditional approach to church life and all that good stuff who have great assets, great real estate, big buildings with 40 people in them. And of those 40, 80% are boomers or older. So, um, it, it's a, I can, we can look at it and be like, man, this is a huge problem for the church. People have left like in waves. And I know that is not our reality. Like if it feels weird what's happening here compared to what's happening to the rest of the world. But I'm just saying it like we can look at it and be discouraged. We look at it and just focus on the problem or we can see it as amazing opportunity. And that's what I choose to see it as. How much, how many people were just cultural Christians? How many people did things for religious sake? How many people did things with no real conviction, no real relationship with Jesus? If anything, they were a liability to the gospel and it felt hypocritical. I'm going to say I'm one thing. I don't live my life by any standard. I don't submit my life to Jesus. I just attend a thing. And then I'm a liability to the gospel. And so trimming some fat sometimes can be great because it gives us an opportunity to reset culture and build on that. I'm not talking about a soma. I'm talking about Big C Church. How amazing would it be if we actually practiced what we say we believe? How amazing would it be today as a church if instead of building on tradition or building on uh, religion or building on programs or events or any of that kind of stuff, we just built on the gospel? How awesome would that be? Like, hey, I actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus and my life looks like it. I'm, I'm like Deuteronomy 6 says, I'm actually letting this work me over in my heart and my motivation and in my life. And then I can impress it on the next generation because they, they know I'm about it. I believe God's timing is perfect. And I believe that for us as a church, we have a moment of decision in this season as a church. So it's time for us to lean into the things of God. It's time for us to serve one another. It's time for us to love one another. It's time for us to honor the generation whose shoulders we stand on and then fuel and empower and train and equip the next generation that's coming up. We can't wait until, we can't afford to wait until 20 years from now for us to build a thriving kids ministry, youth ministry, college age ministry. It's like you're three years old. What is the hurry, bro? The hurry is, is they are the church of now. That is the hurry. The hurry is, is that no one is doing it. The hurry is, is that nobody sees Deuteronomy 6 and goes, that's what we got to do. Family's got to disciple kids. Church has to figure out what we can do to partner with families so that we can grow kids up in a world. Listen, a culture, broader culture, what you guys are growing up in is way different than the one that we inherited. And there's a great opportunity there. There's a great opportunity for us to advance the message and the mission of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says about how amazing our opportunity is. This is Luke 10 verse 2. He says this, the harvest is plentiful. There's so many people to reach. There's so many people to serve. There's so many people who I, Jesus says, hey, I desire that none may perish. But that all would have a saving relationship. That all would come to know God. That all would come alive in him. But here's the problem. The workers are few. And then he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The problem is not the gospel. The problem is not that it doesn't work. The problem is not that there's not great opportunity for you to reach and serve your neighbor or your coworker or your family member, whoever. The problem is, is that we don't labor. And then he says, hey, pray. For those of you that are doing it, pray that God will send more, more laborers and then do what we can on our end to really rally and equip people and train and send people to do what God's asked us to do. We need, we need to be the workers to take on the harvest field so that we can see God move in mighty ways. So um, there's two things that I want to look at. I want to go back to Deuteronomy 6 really quick. And I just want to point to really just two verses and two points that I want to make. So this is Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7. Moses says, these commands I give you today, put them on your hearts, receive them, let God work you over, and then impress them on your children. And so make them your own. Moses is saying, hey, receive these. I give you today. They're to be on your hearts. Um, let God change your motivation for doing what you do. And the idea is that we personally receive from God. You and I can't give to the next generation. We can't give away to anybody what we don't have ourselves. I can't help you to come alive in Christ if I'm not alive in Christ myself. That's literally not the way that works. The gospel message is awesome, and it does work, and it fills in all kinds of gaps. I'm just telling you, I make a profound impact on people's lives when I'm actually doing the things that, I'm, that I say my life is about. Like, I make a bigger impact on people. And so, 
you got to receive it before you can give it. You can't disciple your kids and serve the next generation if you're not filled yourself. And here's the thing for, to encourage you, because some of you are empty nesters. Some of you are like, man, it's too late for me. You know what I mean? I just, I've came to faith in Christ late in the game, or, or I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to get it all together, but I, I don't. It's just, but you're never too late to receive. You are, you are never too late to receive from God. And guess what? It doesn't matter what season or what age you are. If you will actually receive what God wants you to receive, you can still impress on your children. It doesn't matter how old they are. You can be 80-some years old, come to faith in Christ, God, get a hold of your life, and grandkids looking at like, Grandma's different. Grandma's, what is up with Grandma? That's crazy. So you, you can impress on people, but you have to let God do a work in you first. You might have a strained relationship with your kids. You might have struggled as a parent. You might think that you don't have influence on the next generation, and the reality is, is that not, that's not so. The enemy would love for you to think that you don't have a part to play in this. He would love for you to think that. That's exactly where he wants you. If you're breathing, you have a part to play. If you're breathing, you're not done. doesn't matter what life looks like up to this point. Look at Paul in Scripture. This guy is so far from a relationship with Jesus, he's persecuting the local church. Grown man. Grown man. And God gets a hold of his life and just turns his heart, and it's radical, the transformation. He receives what God has for him so that he can become a blessing and impress on other people what God has for him, even in a season of adulthood. The idea is that for me and my house... I want to receive what God has for me, and I'm going to prioritize my faith and my personal relationships with Jesus, and I'm putting God first in my time and in my relationships and my marriage and my finances and my gifts and in my service. And what we, what we would love to happen, and it never happens this way, is we would love to see, we want life change without submitting to God the things that he asks us to submit to him. And that is not the way that it works. And it's so frustrating because we're like, man, I really want breakthrough. I really want breakthrough in my marriage. And yet I don't put God first in my marriage. I really want breakthrough in my finances. And yet I don't put God first in my finances. I really want breakthrough in my career, my, voc- my vocational arc. I really want purpose in my life. I lack purpose, and yet I don't put God per- first in my purpose. It's crazy. Like, just put him first in all those other areas and then watch God bless it, right? And so... Um, We have to do this because the next generation, our influence on the next generation, it totally depends on that. If you don't make it a personal priority, your kids will notice. Dads, you have the greatest influence in your child's life when it comes to church and faith. This is is something that culturally, sociological studies, anthropological studies, they would point to the fact that, yep, if dad's in the church, here's the percentage of the family that's in the church. If dad makes it a priority, here's the percentage of the family that makes it a priority. Parents, lead your kids. Disciple your kids. Train your kids. While they're under your roof, tell your kids what to do, okay? Like, train them up in a way that they should go, and then when they get the older, they don't, they don't depart from that way. But the idea is um, run the play that God has for us, receive what he has for us so that we can hand it over to the next generation, and we can't give to others what we don't have. So we got to personally receive from God, and then we have to intentionally pass it on to others. Deuteronomy 6, let it work you over in your heart, so that you can impress it on your children. You can't give it to others if you don't have it yourself. Be intentional about taking what you've got and put that, put that in the hands of somebody else so that they can run their race after you've run yours. And what we have a tendency to do, if we're being real, is we'll run our race and then just kind of throw it out. Have you seen, like in the Olympics, the relay, the relay race is the best example, best metaphor I have for this one. So you have athletes from all over the world, peak physical condition. They've been training for this junk for 17 years. You know what I mean? Now they're on the national, they're on the global stage, and people are paying attention, watching, and it's like they've got an opportunity, and they're running this relay. And they run the best personal time that they've ever had. There's a world record broken for the 100 meters that they run. And then they get to the next runner and they drop the baton. They lose. And that's exactly what he's saying in Deuteronomy 6. A big part, a big part of your race is the handoff. A big part of your race, yeah, run your race. But also when it's time, place it in the hands of the next generation so that they can run theirs. Don't throw it at them. Don't allude to it. Don't, don't hope that they figure it out on their own. Put it in their hands so that they can run their race. Uh, intentionally pass it on to others. 
And, and I want to say this because I realize in a church like ours, um, and just church in general, life in general, there's people in our church family that you, you maybe you're empty nesters, your kids have grown up. Maybe your kids have, they, they don't church. Faith with Jesus is not a priority, right? And, and maybe, they've, they, maybe they've told you they've left the faith entirely. Um, but I just want to encourage you, you are not the Messiah. You are not their Savior. You are not in charge of your kids' salvation or their sanctification. You are in charge of stewarding them. You are in charge of emptying your cup. You are in charge of receiving all that God has for you so that you can impress it on them. And even if you're empty nest season and even if they're out of the house, you can still receive from God. Matter of fact, that's your marching orders. You still receive from God and then watch your kids interact with you. Even those who have who've left the church, they'll look at you and go, you're different. What, what, like I know you've talked about church your whole life, but you're different. You love me different. You serve me different. Like the way that you engage me, it feels, it hits different. And it's because you're still receiving. You're still running the play. You're still stewarding. Listen, God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for you. It's sufficient for your kids. So here's the biggest thing we can do. Pray for them. And I know that sounds it's like, okay, like pray for them. Pray for your kids daily and watch what happens in their lives. Hand over to God what you can't do, what you're not in charge of, and then watch what happens. Salvation isn't my work or your work. Sanctification is not my work or your work. It's the Holy Spirit's work. Obedience is the only part we play. Life changes God's work. But when I prioritize my personal faith and I receive from God, and I make my kids, I, I, want, I want them to have a Bible. I want them to learn to pray. I want them to be active in the life of the church. I want them to engage with other believers. And listen, I want you to speak into my kids' life. I don't want it to be just me. I, this is the benefit of being a church. I want other people who are mature in Christ to come alongside of my kids. Encourage them. Dude, rebuke them when they need rebuke. Like doing all the things together as a church family. Lovingly lead them towards Christ. That's, what, that's the whole idea. Next generation. And so the question is, for us as a church, what are we doing about it? First of all, parents, I'm asking you to lead your children. I'm asking you to, to, to share your faith, your personal experience. If you don't have one, don't fake it. Don't pretend. Be honest with your kids about where you're at in your faith. If you're a new believer, say, I'm a new believer. If you've got sin and brokenness and baggage, just own it. Don't, don't try and... Don't try and Pretend to have a spiritual authority that you don't actually have. Just be open and honest and real with your children and then lead them in growing and looking more like Jesus. Receive all that God has for you so that you can take your hand, open it up, and then pass that baton to the next generation. And then for us as a church, we want to come alongside and be a vehicle for life change in your kids as well. Matter of fact, while we're here right now in this moment, that's exactly what's happening right underneath us. There's a team of Dream Team people who are serving your kids right now who are praying for your kids, who know them by name. They had prayer requests, last, prayer requests last week. Hey, how's your dog? How's your dog doing? I know your dog's sick. Like, you know, how, how'd the soccer game go? Did you have a good time? Like, they're talking to, G, they're talking to them on their level um, and serving your kids. And so our whole, our whole thing in this season, we talked about generations at the first part. Our whole thing in this season is we want to, we want to hammer as best we can. Alphas, Gen Z, we want to hammer as best we can. All of you raised your hand, a majority of you raised your hand at the beginning of service and said, yeah, I came to faith in Christ before I was 25. We're going to smoke it in this season when it comes to kids and youth and college age ministry. We're going to do everything that we can as a church. Here's what I'm talking about. Um, we have over 100 kids currently um, attending every single week in Soma Kids. Um, we're almost double the national average for church attendance, just church attendance, just in kids. Like, Lifeway did a research, a study currently. It's 63 people average on a Sunday in just an average church in America. There might be 200 people on the roster, 63 in, in, in service on a Sunday. We have over 100 kids on a Sunday. And so, yeah, you can clap. Um, but I wanted to be sobering how, like, how important it is to steward that. That's really what I want to hit. That's like people's lives. I mean, like, these are people that God's going to use in a profound way to reach and grow his mission and his message. Um, and so, of, of those 63 people, I want to say this too, of those 63 people who are in church, um, just on any, any given church out there, I would say probably 80% of those people 
are older people. So the, the church is not doing a great job of serving and reaching Gen Z and beyond. So we're, we're going to try and do everything that we can to do that. Here's what we're going to do. Soma Kids. Here's what we're currently doing for Soma Kids, okay? And we're just going to paint a picture. I'm going to show you. These are some great, like, this is just, we're going to paint a picture for you with some, some images. You guys never get to spend time down there. You don't know what takes place. There's worship, activities, fun. The idea is that kids come in and they see friends, build community, do things together, learn about Jesus on their level. And church is not something to endure, but they're glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. They're not like, oh man, this is like, but they want to be there. They want to come safe environment. We're going to do what we can in this season to level up even more. Everybody who serves in this area of ministry is background checked. Everybody who serves in this ministry is for your kids. We're going to do everything that we can to continue to protect uh, the next generation. We want to partner with parents. We, we use something called orange curriculum. And, uh, and it's the reason why we use it is because it's the best out there. That's the reason why we use it. So, uh, and because it also, it allows for us to partner with parents, put some resources in your hand and help you disciple at home. There's a small group model in kids. That's what you see and played out right now. There's Annabeth leading a small group for grade school age kids. And so they break down by area, by age, they get the word of God on their level and they talk about life and faith, uh, in the way that they need to. There's age specific so that they can just share what's on their hearts for what they're going through. And there's a curriculum on their level. There's a plan in place. Um, we currently have 9.30 and 11 o'clock, full Soma kids. 8 o'clock, we're adding base camp. We're doing that so that you can actually serve and or attend 8 o'clock. You could serve one, attend one. For those of you that don't, you're not a part of Dream Team or you are a part of Dream Team, and you can go be a part of 8 o'clock so that you can serve one, attend one, 8 and 9.30 so that we can create more room for more people. So those are things that we're doing currently in kids. Austin Jensen, who's actually in the room right now. Y'all give it up for Austin Jensen. Killing it. She oversees kids. Um, and she'll be a part of growth track and things like that. But our whole thing is, man, we want to set them up. I'm here today because of a lady named Kay McMillan, who led my kids' ministry when I was growing up. Loved us, served us, led a little kids' choir. You mean prayed for us. I mean, I'm thinking about the Brenda Hubbards. I'm thinking about, like, there's people all in my, like, spiritual formation happened because other people poured into me in my, in my youth, this age. And we want to do that for the next generation. Soma Kids is a big deal. Soma Youth is something else we're going to lean into in this season. So here's what we're doing currently with Soma Youth. So we, we're doing it every single Sunday night. Instead of just first and third, we told our team, hey, we're going to team tackle Soma Youth. Every single Sunday night, there's a message every single week on their level, speaking their dialect. Listen, I know there's a lot of you that come. I know there's over, well over 100 youth, middle school and high schoolers, that attend our church in the season that don't attend youth. But we're building a thing for your youth on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Right, And it's for you. It's for you and your youth to help disciple them. So encourage them to come and be a part of that. We have small groups that meet. They break out after the message right in their age group. There's like 15 to 20 in each of those small groups. Um, there's worship. It's excellent. Justin leads that and a team of people. Teaching team. There's leadership development. All this idea is really just to build a culture so that kids love and lean into the local church. There's a couple Sundays ago, I remember I looked out and... Uh, and actually, I was sitting over here. I wasn't, I wasn't preaching that weekend. I looked out, and Reese Michael, who was 16 years old, and I didn't ask permission to share this, but I'm bragging on her, so it's okay. She's 16 years old. Um, her family wasn't there that day. They normally attend together as a family, but she just drove herself to church, served by herself, sat on the second row, and took notes. And I'm like, that's it. That's what we want for, for our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. It's a big deal. Um, 412, what are we doing to reach college-age students? Once a month, we did it last month, um, we fed them, man, we fed them some good food. Shout out to Gas Up, by the way, who, who hit us with some chicken strips and some, some bougie grilled cheese. It was awesome. But, uh, but the kids loved it. It was 80 college students who came to the first one. It was all organic reach. It was just text your friends. We don't know if this is going to work. We don't want to over-advertise and under-deliver. We don't want it to be lame. So it was like it was 80 of them come for the first one, and the idea is to build on that. That's Rachel who serves as an intern for us in this season. But the idea is just to continue to serve, cast a wide net for college-age students, redirect them back into the vision of what we're doing as a church. And so this is how we're doing it in this season. And here's my ask of everybody who's here. Here's what we want you to do. The, the, how can I receive what God has for me? How can I pass it on to the next generation? First of all, you need to prioritize your personal relationship with Jesus. 
You're not serving anyone if you don't receive what God has for you first. I just want to start there. But you don't have to, you don't have to be a th- theologian. You don't have to be in vocational ministry. You don't have to, to look like you have it all together or whatever you have in your mind before you start serving other people or making it about others. As a matter of fact, you'll look more like Jesus as you do it. So, but I would just say you've got to receive. You have to be on the receiving end of what God has for you. So prioritize your personal faith. But then after that, I want you to pray for them. Pray for the next generation. Pray for them. Add it to your prayer list. Pray for the kids who are in Soma Kids. Pray for the leaders who lead them. Pray for the people who are leading in youth. Pray for the people who are leading in college. Pray for every student. If you see them on a Sunday, if they need prayer, pray for them in the moment. Call somebody and pray for them. Just pray. Pray for them. Second thing is I want you to serve them. Serve them. Moses says, write these commands on your heart. Then impress it on the children, on the next generation. Impress it on them. Don't forget who I am. Life's going to get comfortable. You're going to have resources and opportunities like you've never had it before. Don't make it about that. Deliver. Remember that I'm a God of deliverance. And I want you to serve the next generation. Create. We want to create an environment for kids, for youth, for young adults to find and follow Jesus, to learn more about him. And then this actually serves you as parents as well. It creates a space for you as an adult right? We want you to hear the message, take away God's word, prayer, and worship that allows for you to have the experience that you're having right now because someone said yes to serve your kids while that's taking place. So serve them. If you are not actively involved, here's my ask. If you're not actively involved in a dream team in any area, kids, youth, and young adults, primarily kids, we build everything that we need in that area of ministry so that regardless of what your spiritual gifts are, you can actually leverage those there. You don't have to lead a small group of kids in order to serve kids. We have an administrative team who meets midweek. We have curriculum support. We have people who are care and security. We have people. There's a whole serve list of people who can support kids in the next generation just by leveraging the gifts that God's given you. So if you're not active on a dream team, help us build it. Like, we need it. The harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. And what we see as a church is we just see crazy growth. 860 some people last week most people we've ever had in church on a Sunday and it's just a random Sunday and it's like all right let's let's do the thing together let's tee it up for the next generation serve them well pray for them serve them last thing is invest in them invest in them take what God's given you in your own walk in your own life Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. I don't want you to fake it. And I don't want us us as a church to pretend like we're somewhere we're not. I want us to be real and open and honest about where we're at so that we can can grow. We can run at the race. We can run our race at the, the way that we've been graced for it. And God's given us amazing, like all of you are amazing. You have incredible stories. I know so many leaders in our church family, so many people who have gifts, and you just need to activate that. And what we try and do as a church is just create a vehicle for you to leverage the gifts that God's already given you. Um, That's my ask. Pray for them, serve them, invest in the next generation, knowing that that's God's model. That's God's model for evangelism. That's God's model for discipleship. You, mom and dad, you older generation, next man up. And, but you can't, you can't give them what you don't have yourself. So you just need to do some soul searching on that right now. I wanna, I'm going to close this in prayer. And, um, and I'm actually going I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, to pull an audible for time's sake today. So I'm going to ask that we, uh, we're just going to close out the service to just kind of honor you and your time and also just to prepare for the next service time. But I want to, I want to close in prayer and I want to, I want to do it kind of tiered. Um, I want to, I want to pray for those of you that you got kids that have, um, have just walked away from the Lord, have walked away from church, have walked away from the shared conviction that you thought you had. I want to pray for those of you, you got kids at home right now and you know good and well that, man, I'm just struggling. I don't, I know I'm not who Jesus needs me to be in order to really serve my kids. I want to pray for those of us who don't have, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You have not written the commands of the Lord on your heart. And so you can't impress what you don't have. 
I, that's how I want to pray. I want to close this, the service out in that way. And I just feel like this is what God wants us to do. So if, if we just close our eyes together and just kind of, um, you can pray right where you're at, be praying for the people around you. Really just internalize that message. Say, man, what do I have that God's given me? What does this look like for my own life? I want you to stop and think about maybe your own childhood, how you came to a saving knowledge in Jesus, the people who have impacted your own personal walk and your own personal faith. Think about the fact that we serve a generational God. You would not be where you are today were it not for somebody else. You stand on their shoulders and you do so so you can hand it off to the people under your span of care, under your influence, the next generation. So I'm just curious to know in our church family, everybody who's here today, is there somebody who's here and you're like, this is a message that hit home for me. I know that I've got a part to play. I know I've got, I've got, I've got to grow in this area. I've got to do what I can open up my hand and hand what I have over to the next generation. Is there anybody who would be honest in this room today and say, you know what? I got to grow in this area. Would you just raise your hand in the room and say, this is me. I got to do this. Man, I got family. I got kids. My priorities are out of whack. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things. Life feels frantic. Faith is not a priority. And, and, and I really want to live my life, not by my own set of standards, but by God's standards so that I can impress it on the next generation. If you're here today and you would be honest with yourself and you say, you know what? I can't give away what I don't have myself. I got to start with a real relationship with God. I can't be religious or do religious things or attend a thing or, or be a part of an organization, but I need a real relationship with the God who created me, who's for me. If you're in this room and you'd love to give your life to Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus today, would you just raise your hand in the room? It's as simple as that. Jesus came, he loves you, he lived for you, he died in your place, and he offered forgiveness and grace if you'll accept it. I see your hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? And God, God, God's word works, his gospel works. Is there anybody else? You're like, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I'm going to go all in. I'm tired of playing games. Right where you're at, just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. God, I am sorry I've made it about me, but I can see over and over again in your word, you've asked me to make it about others. You asked me to love you with everything that I got so that I can better love the people under my span of care. I can better love the people I come into contact with. And I need you to do what only you can do in this moment. I need you to change my heart. I need you to write it on me so that I'm effective, so that I actually impact people. I can make a difference in their life. And so, Jesus, I see your life, your death, and your resurrection, and I claim the victory that you have over death. And I, along with the power that resurrected you, I claim that same resurrection in you, God. Everything necessary for your salvation, Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. The moment of salvation is when you realize it. The moment of salvation is when you realize who Jesus is in relationship to who you are, and you fully surrender and submit your life. So today, for all of you who made that decision, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I surrender. And you call the shots, God. Help me submit my life to you. Help me to make it about others. Help me to lead and serve well. Tee it up for the next generation. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.